Jesus. <clears throat> we thank you for the privilege to be in the house of God. We thank you, Lord, that we can come before the throne of grace. We ask you to touch our lives and hearts here today. Bless each and every one of us. We give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your friend next to you, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name, smile real big, tell them they look nice. <laughs> Praise God, and that you're glad they're here. Amen. Amen. God is good. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with us to Romans chapter 2. We're going to officially today go into the second chapter <clears throat> of the book of Romans. And uh, we have taken the last few weeks to explain why chapter 2 it seems to be so uh, different than chapter 1, why it seems that all, as almost as it goes in a different direction. It really doesn't, but it appears to do so, and we explain some reasons why it didn't. Uh, in chapter 1, Paul talks about the judgments of God and all the sins of the human race and how people fell away from the Lord and how that uh, God will judge that sin. In the last verse in chapter 1 of Romans, says, Who knoweth the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That is, in the people who commit sins, uh, there are those who have pleasure in those people. In other words, let them do what they want to do. We're happy that they're doing it, so forth. And then in chapter 2, it reads very strangely, it says, therefore, the word therefore hinges on what's just been said in chapter 1. So in chapter 2, when we read that one, verse 1, I'm going to read these verses to you here. Therefore, thou, thou art inexcusable, O man, whomsoever thou art, that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same thing. All of a sudden now he's talking about us judging people. <clears throat> but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this old man that judges them which do the same thing that thou, and thou doest the same that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. And then he starts talking about this judgment thing. And some people say, well, why is the Lord condemning the judgment? Let me uh, just sort of uh, just put a little cap on this from what we've talked about before. What Paul began, is dealing with here in the book of Romans and will be dealing with all through the book of Romans are believing Pharisees who came into the church as Christians and they believed, but they still held to their Phariseeism that even Jesus condemned in his earthly ministry. After Jesus ascended into heaven, the church was established there were a number of Pharisees who were saved. And when they were, they were saved, they did not always agree with the New Testament plan of salvation for the Gentiles. They wanted all the Gentiles to become uh, like the Jews. I'm going to refer once again to this scripture over in the book of Acts chapter 15 so we can, uh, so we can sort of uh, put a cap on this and then move on into chapter 2 because this is a very interesting chapter. And in, 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 in Acts chapter 15, when Paul had come off of his first missionary journey, and he had gone out among the Gentiles, and people had gotten saved, he had, been, he had baptized a lot of them, they had gotten received the Holy Ghost, baptized with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, miracles had happened, 
all kinds of things had happened. He had come back to Antioch, which is a city north of, of Jerusalem. Uh, it is in what we know of today as the country of Lebanon. Uh, he had come back to the, the city of Antioch. Antioch had quite a powerful church there. And he told the people in Antioch all about it, and they were excited. Then he said, I want to go to Jerusalem and tell the church in Jerusalem what's happening and all the apostles that are there. And so Paul and Barnabas together, they went down into there. So the 15th chapter is all about Paul going there. And the Bible says, I'm going to read a few verses here to you. This is 15.3. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Everybody was happy about that. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. In other words, they told the apostles, they told the elders, they told the church, man, this is what God's doing among the Gentiles. Everybody would seem to be very very happy about it. Look at verse 5. But, but, but it says, There arose up a certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed. They were believers. They were Christians. They believed Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And it went on saying, saying that it was needful to circumcise those Gentiles who had gotten saved and to command them to keep the law of Moses. In other words, they had to go back and re and reestablish the law and also have that as part of their Christian act. And uh, <clears throat> so in verse 6, it says, The apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. Let's talk it all over. And in verse 7, it says, And when there came, had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them. And then he talked to them about how Cornelius and his household had gotten saved under Peter himself. And they being Gentiles, the Holy Ghost fell on them just like it had done on the Jews. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved even as they, that is the Gentiles. We're going to be saved just like they are through faith. It's not going to be any difference. And, uh, and then at verse, at verse 12 says, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience unto Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And he said, this is what God has been doing among the Gentiles, which is a confirmation that God is for them and with them. Now, James stands up in the next verse, verse 13. I'm trying to show you the solidity of Paul's position here. And uh, in verse 13, after that, they, they held their peace. And then James answered saying, and James confirmed what Peter said. And that these were the two most prominent apostles uh, in that early church in that day. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem which at that time, history tells us, was about 25,000 people strong. Uh, uh, Peter was the chief apostle of all the apostles. And so both these men now had spoken. Here's what James finally concludes. After, and he says in verse 19, Therefore my sentence is that we trouble not them, that is the Gentiles, which from among Gentiles are turned to God but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and fornication and from things strangled from blood, which was a thing that was required of them from when Noah and his family came out of the ark. That's what God required. So it was nothing any different than that. 
And then it goes on to say in verse 22, that plead then, then please if the apostles and elders with the whole church to send men with them and letters and say, this is what we believe. This is what we have established and so forth. And they sent these back with Paul and Barnabas and they sent letters. They sent other people along with them and says the Jerusalem church has established this. This is it. Praise the Lord. Now that's simple, right? But not for these Pharisees. Not for these believing Pharisees who were Christians because they kept saying, I don't care what the apostle says. I don't care what Peter, James, and all the big crowds all say that saved the the, the Christian church. We believe they got to keep the law. So they started fanning out and going into some of these areas where Paul and Barnabas had been and later Paul and Silas would go and would follow behind them And then they would go in there and they would say, oh, I know you got saved. You got baptized in Jesus name and you were filled with the Holy Ghost, but you got to keep the law. All you men have got to be circumcised. All of you people have to line up and you've got to complete the law. You got to make a trip. You got to make three trips to Jerusalem every year and for the feast days, blah, blah, blah. And they went on and on and on and on with that. When the apostles, Peter and James being the chief apostles, especially, and the others all agreed with them. They all have decided that that's not what's necessary for the Gentiles. So Paul, in writing his epistles, which were letters to the Gentile churches, when he'd write those letters, he had to deal with those problems. Now, I've already talked to you about it. I won't go into a lot of detail with you about it. But when you come to the second chapter of the book of Romans, and I'm going back to that particular chapter here, this is what he's talking about. Therefore, he says in chapter Two and verse one of Romans. Therefore, thou art in this huge below man, whosoever thou art that judgest, because these Pharisees, Jews, Jewish Pharisees, were going there and troubling these people, and they were judging them and said, "You're not saved. I don't care what you've done. You're not saved until you fulfill the law." And they were saying, "No, no, no, no," and and they just began to create. And Paul even said, "In one place, they trouble you." And in one place, he even said, I would, that God would cut them off that trouble you. They're coming in there and they're making you confused. They're making you not sure what you believe. Folks, you say, why does that take up place in the Bible when the Bible is for us even to this day? Because we deal sometimes with the same problems. People get saved and somebody comes along and says, oh, you're not saved. You're right. You got to do, you got to do something else. I've heard this stuff here recently. I don't know where it's all coming from, and I don't even want to know. But you got to be—you you, you can't be baptized in Jesus' name anymore. You got to be baptized in the name of Jehoshaphat or Jehoshaphat or Jehoshaphat. In the Hebrew is Y, and in the in the English is J. It's whatever you want to pronounce it. Jehoshua, baptized in the name of Jehoshua. That's supposed to be the Hebrew name for Jesus. And I can just tell you from history. That the early church in the time of, of, of Jesus' time, they never spoke pure Hebrew. They never spoke, they spoke Greek in that early church, and they also spoke Aramaic, not Aram, not Arabic, but Aramaic, which was a, a language between he, mixture of Hebrew, Arab, Chaldean, all kinds of languages all mixed together. They're sort of a Yiddish for that time and for that day. They spoke an Aramaic. And the word Jesus came from the Greek word, and that's what they baptized all of those Gentiles in. Those Gentiles didn't speak Hebrew. 
Those Gentiles that Paul went out and baptized and preached the gospel and they got saved and everything, they, they didn't know Hebrew. He wasn't going to get in there and say, now I've got to baptize you in the Hebrew you know, name of Jesus. He never did that. And yet God performed miracles. So here comes somebody along and they'll say, oh, you've got to be baptized now in the name of Yahashua. I had a friend one time that went in that direction. He pastored up in, up in, the, in the state of Pennsylvania. I preached for him. Good man, but he just, he just wanted to see a move of God. He thought, maybe we're doing something wrong. And then he came across that thing. And, oh, we, maybe we got to baptize different. So he started baptizing. And then the next thing you know, he got on a bandwagon with that. Next thing I know, he was out of the United Pentecostal Church. Because the United Pentecostal Church wouldn't line up to his way of thinking. And the next thing I know, he was backslid, you know. He didn't, he didn't even continue to live for God. I'm just saying here, praise the Lord. God wants us to know this, that you, a fool cannot err therein. The gospel is so simple. And when you read in the Bible here that they baptize in Jesus' name, you know, I know Jesus is not always pronounced the same in every language. I think in Spanish they pronounce it Jesus, you know. That's fine. I now baptize you in Jesus, but that's Jesus in their language, you know. That's all in good. And so every language has got a little, a little difference to it. But God accepts all of that. Praise God. And I just want to let you know here that these guys were getting all hung up and they were condemning. And this is what Paul was saying. You condemn them and you're saying to them that they are not lining up to your way of believing. And what you're condemning them of, you're doing the very same thing yourself. And they went on to say that they weren't doing everything right. And Paul went on to say, neither were you. I'm going to read also this second and third verse. But he says, we are sure that the judgment of God is, is according to truth. Excuse me. <coughs> against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do this do such things and do us the same. You do the very same thing and you're judging them and condemning them because they are not lining up to the Jewish law. The Jew, these Pharisee Jews says, we know we sinned, but we've got the law behind us to back us up and we are of Abraham and therefore we follow the law and the law then will give us that extra grace that we need so that those sins are not pronounced against us. Now, there is a certain movement in the world today that you can sin a little. You know, you can sin some. You're going to sin some. You know, the Bible said if you sin, the Lord is just to forgive us of our sins. We repent and ask God to forgive us of our sins. He is just to forgive us of our sins. But there is a thought that once you're saved, you're always saved and nothing you do is going to be wrong. I uh, went, heard about a funeral over here in Orlando or some prominent uh, Orlando person, man, uh, was, uh, was had, they had his funeral. He died and was having his funeral. The guy lived like, he, 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 he lived wickedly. He lived wickedly. But one time he went to church and they wrote his name on the church books. And from they said, from this time on, you're saved. You know, no matter what you do, you're saved. So at the funeral, they all put it, they put him in heaven. You know, the, the, the speakers and everything. Yeah, he made it. Thank God, you know, he made it. And all that kind of stuff. And I mean, let me just say this. This is what Paul's talking about. God will judge sin. Amen. 
I don't care whether you're under the law or you're not under the law, or whether you follow the law or you don't follow the law, he's going to judge sin. And then he made it clear, of course, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Spirit of God doesn't guarantee that you'll never sin, but it does give you the power and the strength and the ability to walk with God and serve the Lord. Folks, you've heard the old saying, let your conscience be your guide. Uh Uh-uh. Don't let your conscience be your guide. Your conscience will torment you after you've done wrong. It'll hound you. Let the Holy Ghost be your guide. The Holy Ghost will guide you right. The Holy Ghost will keep you out of trouble. Praise the Lord. The Holy Ghost will, uh, will keep his hand on you. I'm serious. I'm serious. It'll happen. I never will forget when out years ago I was in the insurance business and I talked to this waitress at a donut shop. And she said, I'd like you to come by and talk to me and my husband tonight about some insurance. I said, five o'clock. She said, fine, that'll be good. So I went by their house at five o'clock. And when I walked up the door to knock on the door, I felt something inside. I felt the Holy Ghost say, be careful. Be very careful about this. And so I don't know. I don't know what this is all about. But you know what I'm talking about. Now, the, the conscience wouldn't warn me of that, but the Holy Ghost warned me. I knocked on the door. The guy came to the door, and I said, your wife would talk to me today that you guys may be interested in insurance. He said, no, we're not interested in, I'm not interested in insurance and everything. Listen, I was an insurance agent, and I was carrying hundreds and hundreds of dollars in my pocket. All right? I went on, I said, okay, and I went on, I forgot about it. A couple of days later, they picked up that couple for robbing a package store and killing the guy that was there and taking all the money. And then they had robbed also another package store where they did not kill the guy. And they had taken all the money there. And here I was, you know, Meyer, walking up there, knocking on the door, wanting to sell you some insurance. And the guy and his wife were murderers. And they had murdered some people and took their money. And I had a pocket full of money and I was there, you know, trying to sell them. But the Holy Ghost warned me. So when the guy said to me, no, we're not interested, I wasn't pushy. Or I, I wasn't aggressive. I think, I said, okay, fine. I understand. Maybe we'll talk later. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm glad I'm out of here. It wasn't a house. It was an apartment in a, in a, an apartment house and everything. And I, and then a few days later to read that in the past, I said, dear Lord, that's the people that I went to their house to sell insurance. But the Holy Ghost warned me. How many times has the Holy Ghost warned us that we don't even know what we were spared? But I'm just saying here, the Lord talks about and Paul talks about how the Spirit of God <clears throat> is the best thing we can have in our lives and hearts to help us to live for God, to walk with God, and to protect us from things that <clears throat> could come our way. Excuse me. <clears throat> so I'm going to move on here a little further. And then he goes on to say here about these uh, these Pharisees and so forth. Uh, he talks about them in verse 21. Look at 21 with me. This is 221. I'm jumping way ahead here just to support what we're talking about. <clears throat> he said, thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? He was saying that these Pharisees do these things, but they're telling these Gentiles they don't. And the reason that they can get away with it is because they've got the law behind them. You know, like once saved, always saved. You can't get out of it. You can't, can't do wrong. And he goes on to verse 8 and 23. Thou that makest thy boast in the law, through breaking the law, dishonoreth thou God. Uh, 
Then he goes on to say, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Now, I'm going to uh, talk to you a little bit further here, too, about, uh, <clears throat> about these people here who do not respect and honor the wonderful standards of holiness and decency and living for God and living right. Look at verse, we're going back to verse 3 here, I believe it is. Look at 4, it is 4. Look at verse 4 with us. We're in Romans 2, 4. He goes on to say here, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? These, these uh, Pharisees, Christian Pharisees, they despise the goodness of God which was toward the Gentiles. You despise it. You don't respect the goodness of God. It goes on to say here, and forbearance, that is putting up with a lot of things, and long-suffering, that is tolerance, God's tolerance. God is very forbearing with us. He's very tolerant of us. He's long-suffering with us. He's so, he has a lot of goodness toward us. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this. It goes on to say, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But it says, verse 5, but after thy hardness and impotent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There are some people, they know God will judge sin, but they keep on going on and on and on and on and on. And we say, why? Why do you do that? Now, let me show you why. I want you to go with me to Ecclesiastes for a moment. I want you to look with me here in um, Ecclesiastes 8, uh, 8, 11. This is a very interesting verse here. It says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Why is it executed speedily? Because God is long-suffering. God is patient. God has forbearance. You know, he's tolerant of us. He gives us a chance to repent. He gives us a chance to make things right. And because judgment is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. They said, well, nothing's happening. I did wrong. Everything's okay. I'm living wrong. Everything's going along okay. I don't know why I need to change. I don't need to, don't know why I need to repent. I know God's not, you know, I haven't heard no lightning strike yet around me. Bang, 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 you know. And I think, whoa, I got to make a change. You know, nothing like that's happened. And so people just keep on doing the same, same old thing. So what I'm doing, showing you here are verses. Now, here's another one that's found over here in Psalms. And this is Psalms chapter 10, verse 11. Look at this one with us. 10, 11. He had said in his heart, God hath forgotten God hath forgotten. Some people say, well, God's forgot all about it. He hideth his face. He will never see it. God has forgotten. God looks the other way. God will never see it. So they say in their heart that. So they keep on sinning, keep on doing the same thing. Look at verse 13 in that same chapter. This is uh, Psalms chapter 10. Wherefore doth the wicked condemn God? Contempt God. He means have contempt for God. Contempt God. Not condemn, but contempt. God, he hath said in his heart, thou wilt not require it. God's not going to require repentance of what I've done. You know, what I've done, I've been committing sin, living like the devil, 
and everything, you know, God's not going to say, oh, you know, you got to repent. Or maybe God's forgotten about it or this, you know, happened a while back. And all the time, God is giving space for repentance because he's long-suffering, because he's patience, patient, because he's tolerant. Praise the Lord. That's why, folks, that just because God doesn't judge us right away, it doesn't mean that one day he will not judge because God will judge. That's why he talks about it in the first chapter of the book of, of Romans. He says, God will judge all sin. And these Pharisees, they said, well, God hasn't judged. So God hasn't judged. Then it must be okay. So what little sin I'm doing because I've got the law, I'm all right. And I'm not repenting of it. And I just go on my merry way. And Paul is rebuking them in this second chapter of the book of Romans for their, for their attitude about that. I'm going to read another verse of scripture to you. That's one in Ecclesiastes, one in, this is one that's found over in the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, I'm reading here in chapter 8 and verse 12. Then said he unto me, son of man, set, um, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery, in other words, what he thinks about, for they say, the Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. God's gone a long, long way. He doesn't see it. It doesn't matter. And so whatever we do is going to be all right. It talks about their sins. And then it starts talking about the things that's called abominations, which is the worship of idolatry. And at one point he goes on to say here, and I won't read all these other scriptures about it, but he says, you turn your face to the east. Now, the temple, the temple always set in a position so that the, the front of the temple, the, open, the entrance of the temple faced the east always. So here were men who would come and instead of facing the temple, which would be toward the west because they're out in front of the temple. You understand this is east, right? Okay, if I got my directions right. And so they would stand with their backs to the east and they would face the temple this way because the temple was where the presence of God in. This is where they would you know, go in or go up to a certain level. They were offered their sacrifice. These men would come and turn their back on the temple and they'd face the east because they were sun worshipers. They'd come and they had developed the sun worship. The sun is the most important thing. The sun gives us life. It gives us light. It gives us warmth. The sun is so important. It's not the temple anymore. It's the sun. And, and he talked about how this was an abomination to God. And he just simply says, you have turned your backs to the temple. You have faced the east, which meaning you have faced the sun. You become sun worshipers. Now, all he's talking about here is that they said it's okay because God will not require it. God's not going to judge it. He's going to be okay with it and so forth. Are you getting the point that I'm saying here? This is what Paul was talking about in this second chapter. So he says that to these Jews, he, you try to judge and you try to say, I'm going to commit the same sins, but it's going to be okay. And he goes on and on and on. He says, it'll be all okay and so forth. Now I want to move on a little bit further here because he uses a couple of words here. Uh, he uses the word impotent. I want you to look at verse five with me for a moment. But after thy hardness and impotent heart, impotent, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And then he goes on to say in verse eight, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. And he goes on to then to talk about how that 
They do all of these things. They are impotent in heart. That is that they are unrepented, unrepented. And they are contentious. That means that they, they, they love strife. They like to stir up strife. They're fond of strife. And, uh, and so they just go on and on because it's in their heart to do that. Now, listen to me closely. If you don't remember anything else I've said this morning, don't forget what I'm fixing to tell you right now. That is this. God alone knows the heart. The devil doesn't know the heart. The devil doesn't know your heart. And you don't really fully know your heart. That's why the Bible says, you know, be careful of your heart. We're in the heart or the are the, are, the, are the issues of life. But God knows the heart. But here's the characteristic of God. Even though he knows what's in our heart, he will not judge us for the things in the heart. He only judges us for the deeds done in the flesh, even though he knows what's in the heart. But you know what he does do? He gives place for what's in the heart to be manifested for it to come out and when it comes out then it's not because God wants to be able to see it he wants it to be manifested because this is the way God operates so that you know you did those things this is why the Bible says guard your heart for out of them are the issues of life for out of the heart cometh murder hatred envy strife bitterness you know all those things come out of the heart so we have to we have to guard the heart. That's why Paul, David said in one place, "Lord, making me a right spirit and a new heart." You know, give me give me the right attitude about things. But it's in the heart, and I'm not talking about the heart here that pumps the blood. I'm talking about the innermost part of us, which is what the word heart really means in the Bible. The innermost part of us, that innermost part of us, praise the Lord, in which that nobody knows it, and God alone knows it. But He will not judge us for what's done in the heart. God judges us for the deeds. Now, I want to refer you here to a verse of scripture. I think it's in, uh, let me see it. I think it's in Romans 2, uh, 2, 5. Romans 2, 6 it is. Romans 2, 6. Look at this verse. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. It doesn't say to his, what's in his heart. But these other things, you know, their hardness and impotent of heart and treasures up unto themselves, wrath, everything. And it says here, God who would render every man according to his deeds. It's, it's according to your deeds that God will begin to deal with us and that he will, he will judge us. Now, I want you to look with us also in Revelations chapter 20 and verse 11 for a moment. Just turn over to Revelations chapter 20. Everybody still with me? Revelations 20 and verse 11. This is the white throne judgment. At the end of the world, God will judge everybody that's ever lived, except the church. The Bible says we are judged daily. We will go in the rapture. And the Bible says, no, you're not. You shall judge the world. We shall be with Christ on his throne as he judges the world. But in the, in the 20, 20th chapter, verse 11, this is where he will judge every man and woman and boy and girl that's ever lived on the face of the earth from the beginning of time to the end. And the world's all over with. And uh, it says here in verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face from the earth, the heavens fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. The word books is S, 
that's the Bible. The Bible is made up of 66 books were open and another book was open, which is a book of life. And then it says that, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. We'll be judged out of what's written in this book here. That's why you want to follow the book, folks. Follow the books <laughs> right here. The six to six books that makes up the book. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. And it goes on to say here that, that the dead were judged, stand before God, and the books were open. Uh, let me move on here toward the end of that verse. We're in verse 12 here. And it says here, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Notice that? Not according to their heart, or not according to how they felt, what was inside, but according to their works, because God judges what's by the deeds of man and by his works. It goes on to say that in the 13th verse, and the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell delivered up. Uh, the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works praise the lord so we are judged out of the not we but the world who does not make it in the rapture they're judged out of those works by their by the works of their lives and everything when they come before god one other verse here i'll refer you to is one found in mark 4 uh mark 4:22 for there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested the Lord will bring everything out. Neither was there anything kept secret, but that it shall not come abroad. So whatever is in the heart, God is going to allow it to come out. And he will give place for that to happen. Now listen to me carefully. That's why the Bible says guard your heart for any of the issues of life. We have to guard our own hearts. We have to protect it. And whatever is in our heart, we have to say, God, don't let me have that in my heart. Help me to have the right heart. I'm, t- I'm talking real Christianity here to you. Because if there is something in our heart, if there's something in our heart, God will give place for it to come out so that our sins that's in the heart may be manifested because God will judge what's in the heart. It was in David's heart. He looked at Bathsheba and on that roof. The opportunity availed itself. He looked at Bathsheba. Well, that just happened, you know. Close the blind, go inside, forget about it. Go. The Bible says when kings go to battle, when kings go to war, David stayed home. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Folks, there's times to go to church. There's a time to go to church. Do you hear what I'm saying? When it's time to go to church, go to church. Praise the Lord. If it's, if church is going on and you're not in church, where are you? What are you doing? You know? Okay, I'll leave it there. <laughs> but David, when kings go to war, David was at home. He looked out his window or out on the balcony and he saw Bathsheba and probably in the lower house. They, the top of the houses were like a patio in those days. And people, you know, on their patio up on top, they, uh, anyhow, she's taking a bath. And he looked at her and he sent and had her brought to him and committed adultery with her. Okay. And everything. And that was in his heart. It was manifested. What was in his heart was manifested. And whenever Nathan brought that to David, he said, David, you know, there's a rich man took a poor little, uh, poor man's ewe lamb that belonged to him. Just his only lamb. He took that lamb for himself and had it slaughtered and served it for a feast to a stranger that came his way. And David was so angry, and he said, that man shall surely die. And Nathan said, you're the man. You're the man. I gave it to you in a parable form. 
you took another man's wife and you've got wives. You know, you're a king. You've got all kind of wives. And you took another man's wife, the only wife he had. And everything. You know what happened with David? He repented. And see, that's where some people, when this manifested, they'll say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. David could have said, I'm king. I'm the boss around here. You know, I have an army. Blah, 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 blah. You know, he could have gone on and on and on. But David knew that God was above all. He fell on his knees. He cried before God. He said, God, forgive me, Lord. I have been a sinner. I'm a rascal. And it's amazing how that the long suffering of God allows us and he allows things to be brought out so that we can know, we can know what's right or what's wrong. It may not be something like that. It may be something else. It may be a hatred in your heart against somebody. Uh, it could be, I don't know, something. I, I never forget years ago, and I mentioned a while ago about uh, working in the insurance business and all that, you know. Years ago, I was working in the insurance business. I used to go to this bank and turn in all this money that I had in my from my week's collections and so forth. This teller was always there, this woman teller, very nice lady and everything. And I got to know her by, you know, name Susan, whatever. Her name was Susan. I said, how are you, Susan? Today? How are you? You know, uh, Reverend Myers, she knew I was a minister. We chatted, and I'd turn in the money and everything. This went on for months and months, and, and I was there for five years, six years. So it must have been probably even longer, years. One day I went there, Susan wasn't there. I turned in somebody else. Next time I went back, Susan still wasn't there. I said, where's Susan? I haven't just seen her here last week. And the other lady said, well, I hate to tell you, but she's been let go. I said, really, Why? She looked up and down the aisle this way and whispered to me she was caught for embezzlement. She embezzled $20,000 from the bank. And she had taken it from an account that nobody thought was like just sitting there with all this money sitting and nobody ever, no activity on it. And she slipped money out of that account. One day somebody came in to cash a check on that account or to draw some money off of that account and the money wasn't there. And they went to the auditors went and checked it all out and found out Susan had taken the money, and says she's going to be on trial and she'll probably be going to prison. Isn't that isn't that sad? You know, you're, you should go into prison now. Well, I'm just trying to say here to you that was in her heart. Every day she handled that money, but she could not handle money. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just saying, what is it maybe in our hearts? Guard your heart about whatever it is that Satan does not put something in your heart. See, Satan doesn't know what's in your heart. He doesn't know what's there. He, does, he can't read your heart. But he can know what's in your heart by your actions. So if he tempts you with something and you respond to it, or he responds to it, Porno comes your way accidentally, guys. I'm talking to the guys now. Porno comes your way. You throw it in the trash or whatever. I don't, I'm not, I don't even know. Or you own the hybrid on the screen or whatever. To get rid of that stuff. I, be, I told guys, I said, if you've got a trouble with that, take your, take your computer out back and take your best shotgun and blow the whole thing apart and forget about it. Don't even have one. I'm serious. Don't lose your soul over some, some stupid thing like that. And I'm just trying to say here, but if Satan throws something your way and you're into it, you know, next thing you know, he knows what's in your heart then. 
He knows what's in your heart, and he will give you more and more of that stuff, and it'll be manifested. And you got to get it straightened out. If you don't get it straightened out, God will judge sin. He will judge sin. And you'll fall into sin if you keep on, I mean, bigger sins if you don't get things straightened out. I'm, I don't know why I'm dealing with that because there's all kind of avenues about how things can get in our heart. But I am trying to tell you here today, praise the Lord, that God is long-suffering. He's merciful. And because he is merciful and long-suffering, he gives us opportunity, amen, that we can make things right. Thank God for repentance. God bless you people, those people, people, period, who at the end of our morning service will come down to this altar and say, God, forgive me of all the sins of my heart and all the sins of my life. Lord, take away all those things in my heart that I might know you and serve you and live for you and walk with you. You know, it, it may be it may be a small thing. It may be hatred or it may be uh, prejudice feelings or whatever it is. Say, Jesus, I want to be pure in your sight. Praise God. And I'm going to tell you, folks, it works the other way too. If you've got love in your heart for God's people, if you've got love for good, if you've got love for truth, he will give you opportunity for that to happen too. Has he ever laid it on your heart or have you ever felt it in your heart to give to something? Think about it. Now, this is the opposite side. Now, I'm turning the coin over. This is the opposite side. I know you. I know you folks. I, I know you. This happened to you. And, and, the, and so there's a, there's a plea. There's a need. And so you say, you know, I want to give. I want to give to that. It's going to be tight. It's going to be tough. But I, I want to give and everything. And so you say, you know, but I want to help. I believe in missions. Let's say it's missions. I, I believe in missions. I want to uh, help this cause. Uh, and so uh, you just ante up and you give. Praise the Lord. Well, what's in the heart's been manifested. Praise the Lord. And God will honor you when you give. Not as long as it's in the heart. He knows it's there. But he wants it to be manifested because he wants to bless you. Everybody still with me on that? I'm on the, I've turned the coin over. You understand what I'm saying? And God wants to bless us. Or you want to do something for somebody because it's in your heart. That's the good side of it. Amen. And so those things are manifested. So if we do the right thing, God will honor us. He will bless us. He'll keep his hand on us. He will, he will lead us and guide us and keep us. Hallelujah. Because God is faithful. Praise the Lord. And if you'll just say, Lord, I want to get close to you. I want to walk with you, God. Keep evil out of my heart. Help me, Lord, to do what you want to do. The Lord will put things in your heart. And you say, oh, no, I don't know if I want to do that or not. I don't know if I want to go that far or not. I don't know anything. Hey, try it. Give it a shot. (laughs) Praise God. Because whatever you do it, the deeds, God will judge the deeds. And the deeds are good. He's going to bless you. Amen. I'm telling you the truth. Let me move on here. Amen. But preacher, you've gone to meddling now. Preaching or teaching, going to meddling. Amen. Let me give you one other thing here. uh, And that is that Jesus is our judge. I'm going to. Uh, have you go with me to a scripture here. Let me uh, go to St. John, and I'm wrapping this up now. I've got a couple of minutes here, and I'm talking here on the subject here of the judge who judges us. We're back to the part about judging. We have no right to judge others because Jesus would be our judge. There's a scripture, before I read the one I'm going to read here to you, there's a scripture in the book of uh, the 19th chapter of Genesis 
where God and two angels came to visit Abraham. And as they were walking away, God was, was in angelic form. He looked like an angel. So it looked like three angels, but they didn't look, have wings. They were just men. They showed up at uh, Abraham's house one day early in the morning, and Abraham had a big feast made and everything and fed him. God ate the fatted calf. <laughs> if any of you that don't like beef, all right. God ate beef. He also ate fish. Jesus ate fish. See, Galilee. If you don't like meat, I'm just throwing it out for what it's worth. Amen. I'm just playing with you now. But anyhow, whenever they started to leave, the two angels went on to Sodom and Gomorrah because they had a job to do. They were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and call fire down from heaven. God stayed there with Abraham a little bit. And as that God kept walking away, Abraham kept walking with him. And he knew that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. And he started bargaining with God. If there's, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city? If there's 40 righteous, will you spare And so forth. You know the story. And then Abraham said this to that angel who was God. He said, thou art the judge of all the earth. The judge of the, all the earth will do right. Will do right. And uh, he knew he was talking to God. And he's the judge of all the earth. So God is a judge of all the earth. Many other scriptures say the same thing. However, look at this verse found here in St. John chapter 21, uh, uh, chapter 5. And I'm reading verse 21 first. I know I said 22, but look at 21. For as the father raised up the dead and quickeneth them, so even so the son of man quickeneth whom he will. For the father judgeth no man but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Notice that. Now here's verse 27. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. This was God's manifestation in flesh. And Jesus Christ was God manifest in flesh. The Bible says that. And he was with man. And all judgment is given unto him because He was among us yet without sin. He never sinned. Jesus Christ walked among us. He suffered. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was spit upon. He, he was, uh, he tired. He hungered. All those things was with Jesus just like it is with us. Therefore, God has chosen not to judge man as just as God. That's why God is such a just God. But as Jesus Christ, who went lived as man on this earth for 33 years, he lived. And so, therefore, he will judge. This is why when you read over in the book of Revelations, and you get over in Revelations, and you read where uh, the Bible, in chapter 5, it says at verse 1, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written wherein on the backside, sealed with seven seals. These were the book of judgments that were fixing to be unleashed in the book of Revelation that we read about so much of. And he says that I saw the strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven was found worthy to open the book, was able to open the book. Verse four, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open the book. Verse five, and one of the elders saith unto me, weep not, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And then we know that to be Jesus. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. This is a 
This is a, the speaking of Jesus Christ in that fashion. In other words, this is why he was worthy. Having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, uh, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. This is a form of God passing that judgment into the hands of the hands of Jesus Christ. Not a separate person, but a separate manifestation of God. And then finally, uh, that begins to be fulfilled in chapter 6. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it was the noise of thunder, and one of the beasts said, come and see. And from there on, began to be, began to be the judgments of God. What I'm pointing out to you simply is that Jesus Christ will be our judge. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that he's a merciful and a kind God, that he loves us? He paid the price on Calvary. That's why he has a right to judge us. Hallelujah. God manifest in flesh. Not God as God, but God who is also our Savior. Let's stand together. Let's lift our hands. Let's just thank him and praise him here this morning for his goodness. Jesus, we love you today. We thank you because you're so good. Thank you, Lord, for being so kind to us, so merciful, so long-suffering. We ask you to bless every soul here today and bless our morning worship service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.